ministry. Well, okay, if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, I'm going to invite you to turn with me. It'd probably be easiest if you just turn to Numbers chapter 11. We're at Numbers chapter 11. We're going to be in several verses in, the, in Numbers chapter 11. <coughs> Excuse me. As we look at this subject, as, we, as I start this new sermon series called, I may have just forgot my password. Okay, I got it. Oh my gosh. Church is so technical now. <laughs> so, so I'm starting a brand new series called, uh, called, now I even forgot the sermon series, called Promises in the Desert. And we're going to look at, look at this issue of the desert times of our life. And see, a lot of times we think the desert, in the, in the desert, nothing good grows there. In fact, is nothing grows there. And many times, just like the, the bumper that we use this morning, when you look at the desert, you think of a place where nothing grows. But the, but the opposite is true. When you start looking at Scripture and you start realizing that in the desert times of your life, in the desert times of my life, there are some things that grow. There's some things that God wants to grow in your life, and there's some things that, that if you're not careful, it's just choices of the heart that could grow in your life, that could impact your life greatly. See, the desert is really that place, that desert experience is where God wants to revive your spirit if you'll let him. And so, so Numbers chapter 11, let, let me give you some background. Let me, let me tell you something. This sermon series, I have wanted to preach for years. Fact is, every time when we life journal and we get to Numbers chapter 11, uh, I, I just say, you know what, I, I just want to preach this. And, and so a lot of this comes out of, out of my personal journal, out of some desert experiences that, that Karen and I have, have been through in, in life and ministry together, and just some principles about this issue about the desert places of your life. Now, here's the history. Here's the background. What's happening in Numbers chapter 11 is, is the children of Israel, the Israelites, are, are in Egypt. And so they're slave. They're like the slave labor force for, for Pharaoh. And so they're the guys that are, they're, that are building and built all the great buildings there in Egypt. And so their, their food was free. Uh, of course it was free. They were slaves. And so, so they fed the slave labor so, uh, force, so, so the food cost like nothing. Uh, they're building all the great structures, all the great buildings. Uh, but the, the problem is, is they're being, they're, they're being oppressed. And they're, they're being beaten. And they're being abused. And then when the number of the children of Israel gets so great to where it was costing too much to feed them and too much to, to take care of them, that the unthinkable began to happen. And that's when Pharaoh and his guys begin aborting some of the babies, uh, begin killing their children, and begin reducing the number because the cost was getting too great. And so God hears of their misery. And God calls Moses, and maybe you've heard of this, the burning bush experience. And God calls Moses to go and set the people free. Here, before we get to Numbers, here, here's some back history. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Then the Lord said, speaking to Moses out of the burning bush, I have, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know of their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. 
And so we're all probably familiar with this story. And so there's this conversation that God has with Pharaoh and that God has with Moses. And Moses decides and finally says, yes, I'll go to Egypt. And yes, I'll say to Pharaoh, uh, let my people go. And yes, I will lead the people out of slavery into this land that you have for them. Now, here's the here's the crazy thing about this whole deal. God gave Moses a promise and God told Moses this. He says, I want to take the people out of the land of slavery into the promised land. I want to take them out of slavery and I want to take them to a land that's flowing with milk and honey to that place that they've dreamed of. Moses, that's what I want to do. Now, here's the interesting thing. God never said anything about the desert. Never. It's just like to God, the desert's normative. The desert's normal. See, this is why a lot of us get discouraged in life is because we get that promise for God. I have a promise from God. Karen has a promise from God about what he wants to do in our life and what he wants to do in our ministry. And we get that promise from God of good and blessing and all those other things. It's like a refrigerator magnet, right? To where you just put that verse on the refrigerator. And that's my promise and that's my verse. And then all of a sudden when we hit those desert experiences, that if we're not careful, we'll, we'll become discouraged. If we're not careful, we'll, we'll, we'll become frustrated. And, and all of us listening today, listen, We've either have been in the desert, we're in the desert, or we're going to go into the desert. Because when you start looking at numbers, when you start looking at the scripture, you realize that this issue of the desert is just normative because there's some things that God wants to do in your life and mine. Listen, God does some of his best work in the places that you detest the most, in the places that frustrate you the most. He does some of his best work. We need to get a biblical working definition of what is a desert. I mean, what is a desert? How do I, how do I know when I'm in the desert? Numbers chapter 11, verse 6 is, is a biblical definition. This is, just, this is just from Scripture. Is it any psychologist? Is it any self-help book? This is just from Scripture. Here's what the Scripture says, what they said. But now our strength, there's a key, but now our strength is dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. In other words, the desert space, the desert experience of your life and my life is when our strength is dried up. In other words, the Hebrew definition of that word strength means this, to take your, to take your breath away. It's like something that happens in your soul to where you just get to that place to where you feel like, I, I, I can't even breathe. I mean, I'm in this place, and it's just like it's just like something has happened in my heart. Something has happened in my soul. That that's a desert experience. A desert experience can come by as quickly as a phone call. Your dad has collapsed. Get here as quick as you can. It can come by a conversation. I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be with you anymore. You've been terminated. It can come over a series of slow events, or it can come abruptly. See, in Numbers chapter 11, the children of Israel have been in the desert for about two years. And they've been in the desert. And you may ask, well, what did they eat in the desert? Because nothing grows there. Well, Numbers chapter 11, verse 7, if we just go through this, we find God provides them manna. And manna, the definition of manna is, what is it? I mean, they didn't even know what it was like. It, anyway, verse 7. Now the manna 
was like coriander seed, and its appearance was like delium. The people went about, gathered it, and ground it in hand mills, and beat it in mortars, boiled it in pots, made cakes of it, and the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Now just think about it. Three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They're eating manna. What? I think manna was tofu. <laughs> I do. Just, just what is this? And those of you that like tofu, God bless you. <laughs> Leaves more meat for me. And so how many ways can you prepare manna? I always think of the Forrest Gump movie, right, with shrimp. You got your broiled shrimp, you got your grilled shrimp, you got your fried shrimp, you got your butterfried shrimp, right? And so you can take manna and you can, you can broil it, you can bake it, you can grill it, you can fry it. But to the end of the day, you still have manna. And after two years of this, they're like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. I, I mean, uh, that's when they had finally had enough. Two years of eating manna, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they get to the place to where they say, you know, I'm just sick of this. I mean, I, I want to give you just three things just real quickly. about, And then, and then we take the, of the Lord's Supper. But three things real quickly of what happens in the desert. About what happens in the and Listen, one of these principles, the first principle is very negative. It's a warning. See, see. Most people think nothing much grows in a desert, but there are some things that do grow in the desert, some negative things and some positive things. So the first one is a warning. The first one is dangerous. The second one is this. The second one and the third one are very positive, some things that God wants to grow in the desert in your life. The first one is this. There's some transformational things that happen. Transformational complaint can happen in the desert. It's choices of the heart. The choices that you're making now of determining the person you're going to be five years from now, 10 years from now, and 20 years from now. It's these issues of the choices of the heart. Listen to, to where, if you can hear what they're saying in, in, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 6, it says this. He says, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. In other words, in other words, it just takes a few. It just takes a few people complaining, right? It just takes one person at the office. It just takes one person in the family. It just takes one person in an organization. And it's amazing. It's like a cancer. It's amazing how quickly it begins to grow. And the people of Israel also wept and said, and then, you, you know, you got to almost read this with the whiny voice, right? And so they're whining and they're like, oh, that we just had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that costs nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now, but now our strength is dried up. Our breath has been taken away. And there is nothing. There's like nothing at all to but look at it but this manna. You know what they're saying? They're saying we can't take it anymore. We're sick of this. Now, if you and I aren't careful, when we come to these passages in scriptures, we kind of put ourselves over the characters and we judge them. And we look at these people and we say, what crybabies? I mean, God's providing for them. See, a lot of times when we come to passages in scripture where people are behaving badly, if we're not careful, we put ourselves over them and we judge them. It would be much more healthy for us to put ourselves in the character and in the story with them and understand this, that Given the right set of circumstances, given the right set of issues, I may be the same way. 
I don't know if you've ever had to eat the same thing over and over and over to where you just finally got sick of it. Maybe it was a time of shortage in your life. Maybe it, maybe it was a time of, of college in your life, like it's popcorn, lunch, and dinner. Maybe it was a time of newlyweds and newly married and starting your life out together and all those other things and the shortage. And, and you're like eating the same thing over and over. And you said, you know, I'm just, I'm just sick of this. The food that, or, or actually drink that comes to my mind in my life is V8 juice. Yeah, you may think that's weird. Uh, when we, we had started the church, we'd been about two years into the church, and God led our founding pastor, myself and Karen, to, to fast for 40 days uh, over the city of Pueblo and what he was doing in Pueblo in our church. And so we did what is called a normal fast. Uh, we did it with doctor's advice. Uh, but for 40 days, we didn't eat any solid food, uh, only liquids, and, and we juiced. And so one of my juices of choice was V8 juice. Lunch, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I drink a lot of V8 juice. And I was so thankful during that fast uh, that they came out with spicy V8. That was like woohoo in my life. <laughs> Towards the end of the fast, we're just like, we're sick of everything. We're just like, we're just sick of this. To where one night we got so desperate, we peeled a bunch of potatoes, stuck them, Karen, stuck them in a pot of water. We boiled them, and then we drank the broth. I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. That, <laughs> that, I'm telling you what, that is like dr drinking dirty bath water. It was just like, it was, it was horrible. It was horrible. And still to this day... I, I can't even look at V8 juice without a gag reflex. I, I can't look at it, the color, the texture, the taste, the smell. I'm like, I'm sick of this. And so this is the people in, in, in the desert to where they're like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this situation. Given the right set of circumstances, we can be the same way. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of struggling financially. I'm sick of coming up to the end of the month, every month, deciding which bills to pay and which bills not to pay. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of medical test after medical test after medical test and no answer in sight. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of caring for a loved one who doesn't even remember my name. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of dealing with the same marital issues over and over and over. And it doesn't seem like there's any answer. It doesn't even, in fact, it seems like it's getting, I, I, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of looking, out, looking for a job. I'm sending resume after resume after resume after resume. And it seems like it's the same answer over and I, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of dealing with the situation at the office. I'm sick of the politics. I'm sick of the struggle. I'm sick of what people are saying about me. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this situation. It just seems like. It just seems like God's blessing everybody but me. God's answering everybody else's, else's prayers but mine. 
I'm sick of this. See, we need to acknowledge that when we're in the desert, when our breath has been taken away, when our soul is drying up, the complaint is natural and normal. But you have to guard, guard your heart. Children of the, in the desert, this wasn't some simple complaint about the frustrations of life. This was something much more deeper than that. In their case, it was something very serious. The fact is, when we get to the end of this series and as, as we journey together with them through the desert and see what God does, we'll learn towards the end that God brings a word of correction to them through Moses. And Moses says, with your complaining, you have rejected, you've rejected the Lord. See, they, they were bordering on almost cosmic treason. See, the issue for them was this issue of like envy. And what, what they were saying and what they were really complaining about was this. That back there, over there, in the good old days, back in Egypt, I could be happy. What I have right now, what God's providing for me right now, not enough to be happy. I mean, they, they were continually looking at the problems instead of the provider. Or, or they were saying, you know what, if, if I had that situation, if I had that condition in my life, if I had that situation in my life, then I could be happy. Back there, I could be happy. If it was back like it used to be, I could be happy, but not now. If, if only things happened this way, if only the situations change, then, then I could be happy. But right now, this isn't good enough for me. Now, here's what's so interesting. This is how their memory, or this is how they got so distorted, because here's what happens in complaining. In the midst of your complaint, if you're not careful, it will distort your memory. I mean, in Egypt, they were saying, what good is all this free food when we're not in freedom. And now you know what they're saying? What is good with what God is providing? And we have freedom when we don't have the melons and the leeks and the onions and the meat and all the other stuff. And that's why in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, but they said, but now our strength is dried up. And there's nothing at all but this manna, this miracle, to look at. Do you see the distortion in this? They are so focused on what is wrong that it's completely distorted their memory. You know what they're saying? God, we had it better in Egypt. We had it. We, we had it better in Egypt when the food was free. I mean, there was food there, it was plentiful, and it was free. You know what they're really saying? God, you don't know what you're doing. God, we were better off without you. We should have never followed you. We should have never been obedient to you. We should have never believed that you're going to take us out of the land of Egypt into the land of promise, into a good land, 
into a land of blessing. God, we were better off following the Egyptians than we are you. See, the desert will bring out a dangerous, critical spirit in you that God is trying to get rid of. Because a critical spirit in your life will keep you from seeing what God is doing in your life. In complaining about the manna, there was something deeper that they were saying. God, we were, we were better off, better off in Egypt. Your plan for my life is not the best plan. We were better off as slaves. God, we were better off without you. They'd been in the desert for about two years. They'd received the Ten Commandments. They'd built the, the tabernacle. And they were saying, God, just better off without you. And that's why Moses says, you have rejected the Lord. So when they're complaining about food, the real issue is not the food. The real issue is the heart. And they're complaining. You know what they're complaining about? God, what you're providing for us is not enough. It's not enough. It's just not enough. Transformational complaint can change you into a person that you never want to be. Transformational complaint, the choices that you're making today can determine the person you're going to be tomorrow. Transformational complaint can just transfer, transform you and just to that angry old person that just complains and gripes and criticizes about everything. And it can never see what God is doing. The second principle and the third principle are positive principles. It's the thing, one, the, the first one is what God wants to get out of your life. The second and the third one is what God wants to drill into your life. The second one is this, is transformational trust can happen. Transformational trust can happen in the desert. Fact is, I believe that's the purpose of the desert. I believe that's the purpose of desert experiences in our life is this issue of trust. That's why I entitled this sermon, The Promise of Trust, to where God gives you a promise that, guess what? If you learn you can trust him with the desert times of your life, then you can trust him with any time of your life, any situation in your life. And when you get to that place to where you're always unhappy, you're critical of everybody, you're critical of every situation, you're critical of everything that everybody's doing, the situations you find you're in, yourself in, then the core issue is you really don't trust God. You don't trust him. In other words, you don't seem as trustworthy. And you're, you're the same as the children of Israel in the desert to where you said, God, you really don't know what you're doing. And your strength has dried up because you see nothing of what God is doing. And here's what they were saying. They were saying, God, we could never be happy with the things that you're giving us. God, we could never be happy just simply being obedient to you. Just taking the scriptures, reading the scriptures, and applying them to our life. They were saying, God, we will not trust you. See, here's the issue. Trust is the glue that holds all relationships together. Trust is the glue that holds all relationships together. Whether it's your relationships to God or it's your relationships to others. And it was in the desert with each difficulty that God is asking them, each test, that God is asking them, will you trust me? 
And they came back over and over and over and said, no, we won't. The first situation when the children of Israel leave, leave Egypt and they come down to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is bearing down on them. Exodus chapter 14, verse 11. Here's what the scripture says. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Now listen, when desert experiences happen, people will criticize the leaders and they always will question their motives, their integrity, and their character. This is what they're doing to Moses. Moses, this wasn't of God. Moses, you're not following God. Guess what, Moses? There's just not enough graves in Egypt to bury us all, so you, you, you're working with Pharaoh. You brought us out to the desert so you can, so you can kill us off. It's out in Egypt. Is, is not this what we, we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone. In other words, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians. Do you hear it? It had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to serve God. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Listen, when you get attacked in life, God is asking you over and over and over, will you trust me? And they are saying, no, we won't. They travel three more days and there's another situation. There's another test. They're out of water. Serious situation. They finally find water, but it's bitter. It's undrinkable. And so they complain to Moses. And again, God says, will you trust me? Exodus chapter 15, 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. and The Lord showed him a log and he threw it in the water. The water became sweet. The Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them saying, watch this. If you will diligently listen to the voice of, your, of, of the Lord your God, in other words, will you trust me? And do what is right in his eyes, will you trust me? And give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, will you trust me? And if you will, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord. I am, listen, I am your healer. You can trust me. And again, they came back and says, no, we won't. And then they go a little bit farther, and now they're out of food. Um, Exodus chapter 16, 3. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in, in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the, meal, the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill us, a whole assembly with hunger. Then there's another problem. Exodus 17, 3. But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So here's the history. When we get to Numbers chapter 11, this is not their first offense. They have continually told God over and over and over that we will not trust you. And God continually provided for them. When you get attacked, will you trust me? When you live in shortage, when you're short on food, when you're short on water, will you trust me? When you're in the desert and your strength has dried up and something has happened to your soul, will you trust me? Later, water from a rock. And again, will you trust me? Listen, as I read Exodus 15, 16, and 17, God over and over and over is asked them, will you trust me? Will you trust me? It, and they kept saying, no, we won't. No, we won't. It reminds me of the old vinyl records. And, and I know for the younger generation, those things are coming back. You think those are cool? We invented them. And 
Remember those old vinyl records when, they, when they'd get a scratch on them? And it'd like play the same thing over and over and over. And that's where we got the expression, you sound like a broken record. That's what they sounded like. God, over and over and over, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And they sound like a broken record. No, we won't. No, we won't. No, we won't. Have you ever thought the very event designed to grow trust in your life, if you're not careful, will grow complaint and you'll just become an angry person? See, God was trying to transform the children of Israel into a group of people that they understood that they could trust him. Just what if? What if the event you find in your life right now that you most detest, that you most hate, what if that place is where God wants to do his greatest work in your life? What if, what if that space has the possibility of producing the thing that you most desperately need? The desert. When our breath has been taken away, our soul has been dried up. I believe is a place where we learn to trust him. I believe it's the place where we learn to pray. I believe it's the place where we learn just to take his scriptures and apply them to our life. To where we come to that place and just say, Lord, I have no patience. I have no joy. I have no peace. I have no happiness. God, I desperately need you the third and the last principle is this is transformational faith can happen if you allow it transformational faith many times in life the place that we dislike the most has the possibility of producing the fruit that we most desperately need in our life what we're talking about this morning is choices choices of the heart the desert is that place where you find your trust in God or your strength dries up what, what keeps trust and faith from growing in your life is complaint. God, I was better off without you. God, disobedient stuff. Instead of looking at the manna like it wasn't enough, a person of faith looks at the manna and says, what a great thing God is doing for us. What a miracle this is. See, they really didn't see the manna as God's provisions. And if we're not careful in life, we will look past God's provisions. We will walk past the good and find the problems. We'll walk past the good and find the evil. We will look past and walk past God's provisions and criticize. And whenever we enter a season of disappointment, the choices of, that we're making are determining the person that will become. Are we going to choose trust and faith when our strength is dried up? Or are we going to choose complaint? If you're not able to enjoy God's provisions and live a life of gratitude, can I just tell you this? You have forgotten what God is doing for you. We're going we're to move into a time of of just communion and 
in the Lord's Supper that we're going to take together as a church family. You see, Numbers chapter 11 ties in to this time that we're going to observe as, as, the, as, the, as our ushers prepare the, the bread and the juice and the elements. And, if, and in Numbers chapter 11, God talks about this, this manna. God talks about this manna that he provided for the children of Israel. In John chapter, in John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, a, a group of people, and yes, this is a loaf of bread, and don't worry, we're not all going to share a, a, a chunk off of this for the Lord's Supper. They'll pass out the elements here in a second. In John chapter 6, a group of people gathered around Jesus, and they, they asked him a question. And they asked him, Jesus, how do we know? How do we know you're from God? Because our forefathers in the desert, God provided for them with this manna. And we just knew. But how do we know? How do we know you're from God? And Jesus looked at them and said, oh, that manna, that bread in the desert, that was some good stuff. And it nourished them physically but as a foreshadow of what was to come it was a foreshadow of what was to come and that, and that manna was from heaven but it only satisfied them physically and Jesus said this Jesus says I want you to know I'm the manna I'm I am I'm the bread and if we're not careful, we'll take this bread and we'll just carry it around. See, for the bread to fulfill you, for the bread to make you whole, it has to be broken. If it's left whole, it cannot make you whole. And Jesus said this. Jesus says, you know what? I am. I'm the bread of life. And if you will accept me, if you will receive me, I will give you peace and I will give you joy and I will give you forgiveness and I will give you acceptance. But the bread, the bread has to be broken. And so we come to this time when we observe the Lord's Supper and we have to see him as broken bread for us. That he went to the cross and he who knew no sin became sin for us. And that if we'll accept him Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman that trusts in him. Religion is this. Religion is as we just carry this bread around with us. Christianity is this. When we see the bread is broken and we receive him, and we accept him for the forgiveness of our sins. Communion 
is a reminder to us that his body was broken for us. So the bread is symbolic of his body. The juice is symbolic of his blood. And it's just a reminder to us that in Christ, we're totally and completely forgiven. We have been made perfect in him. We have forgiveness. And because of that, we can trust him. You can trust him. With those desert experiences of our life. Have you ever thought the place that you detest the most is the very place that God wants to do his greatest work in your life? The things that you most desperately need he wants to do in the desert of your life. You know what he was doing in the desert of the children of Israel's life? He was preparing them for their next step. He was preparing them for the place they've always dreamed of. He was preparing them for the promised land. Before we take of the bread, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your body. And Father, we thank you for your sacrifice and we thank you for your life. And Father, we just ask that we would understand that it represents your body that was broken for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And Father, we thank you that in you we can be totally and completely forgiven and deeply loved. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take of the bread, please? The juice represents his body. The scripture teaches us this, without the shedding of blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. Father, we thank you for your blood on the cross and that we can be totally and completely forgiven, that we don't have to live a life of regret, we don't have to live a life of guilt, but Father, we can live a life of freedom. And so Father, we thank you that we can have Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus Christ and we can be in right standing with you because of your blood on the cross for we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take with me, please? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just, let me just ask you a question. What does God want to do in your life? I mean, what is, what is your next step? Every one of us in this room, we have a next step. What choices are you making today? Are you a person of complaint? Or is trust and faith growing in your life? Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know what, I, I, just, I just need prayer. I mean, I, I have a prayer request. I, I just need someone to pray for me. I'm just like carrying this burden. And I just need someone to minister to me. I just need someone to pray for me. But we want to pray for you. So in just a few minutes after I pray and we stand, if you have a prayer request, we want to pray for you. And so after I pray and we stand, 
If you need prayer in any area of your life, as you stand up, would you step out, begin making your way down to the front of the room? You don't have to walk alone. People be walking with us, with you. You don't have to be embarrassed that you need prayer. Every one of us needs prayer. I need prayer and you need prayer. But if you need prayer in any area of your life, we want to pray for you. And so after I pray and we stand, you just make your way down to the front. We'll have people down here that will guide you. You just tell them your name, how they can pray for you. And they'd love to have the opportunity to add their faith to your faith, to bring you in comfort, encouragement, and support into your life. So if you need prayer, after I pray, we stand, you come. Father, we thank you for today. And Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. And Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for the power of your name. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to minister one to another, to encourage and comfort and support. And Father, we just thank you that we can trust you in the desert spaces of our life through prayer and through encouragement. So Father, we just look forward to see what you're going to do. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.